Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. All right, we are continuing in a series. Uh, We're actually at the end of the series where we've been talking about the book of Jonah. And we are kind of walking through it chapter by chapter. This week we are on the last chapter. Uh, Now here's the thing. This particular week the message may make some people just a little bit uncomfortable because we're talking about being mad at God. And there are some denominations which just out come and say that that's you know unholy it's a sin and you shouldn't do that and I'm not gonna say that they're wrong I'm just gonna say the Bible is right we'll we'll leave it at that all right Uh, but hopefully also we walk out inspired this morning and not just feeling uncomfortable Um, we're done with all the vomit talk so no one should be uncomfortable with that I just wanted to get that in one more time all right so Let me summarize. We've been walking verse by verse, and uh, we said before that the the book of Jonah, I know a lot of people, and I've heard lots of messages on it, and they stop and they focus on, you know, the fish and how it swallowed Jonah, and they spend a lot of time on how he survived, and they spend, like, go through. I've literally heard messages where they've gone through and historically pulled out instances in history where people have survived inside of huge, big, giant fishes and I didn't do all that because that's not the important miracle. I mean, that's pretty cool that, you know, God had his doctor do a little thing going on and could control the whale, but that wasn't the miracle. The miracles that we have been focusing on are the ones we talked about first and foremost, that in the book of Jonah, there's a whole community in the first chapter of people who, a community of men that work together, do life together, know each other, that give their lives to God that they confess that, God, you are God. You are the creator. You can do what you want. You created everything. You have power over the seas and the waves. And they, from their time period, say, we are going to commit vows, which is offerings to you. They offer a sacrifice, which is a way of repenting of your sins. And they commit their lives to God. To me, that tops Jonah and the fish. And then we talked about how in chapter 2, Uh, Jonah, who was in rebellion against God, it's not that he had totally denied God existed or anything. He just was in a period of, I'm not going to do what you say, God. We're going to read in a little bit him confessing why he did that. But then in chapter 2, we see where as he's going through the consequences of his rebellion against God, he admits, God, you are sovereign. I commit my life to you, and I will do whatever you say. And to me, that, again, that's bigger than the whole fish thing. And then finally, we talked about last week how an entire nation of people committed their lives to God. I mean, from the leader of the nation down to where it says man and beast and all that, it's basically saying from the leader to the homeless person who everyone thinks doesn't matter, everyone in between committed their lives to God. And to me, that is extremely powerful. Now, obviously, it wasn't the U.S. that committed their lives to God. It was the Ninevites, which was the nation of Assyria. But, wow, I mean, that is extremely powerful. And I think we forget sometimes that if you look throughout Scripture, there are multiple times where entire nations 
kind of come in line with what God wants, and it's usually just because of one person. Now, at the same time, I think that we forget there are entire nations that deny God and refuse to be obedient to him, and they just kind of cease to exist because God's like, okay, have it your way. And he eliminates them, wipes them off the planet. Other nations that are willing to be obedient to him, then he blesses them. Those nations that say we want nothing to do with you, he's like, okay, here's life without me. All right, but each week we've been starting off uh, with the verse from the previous chapter. So if you have a Bible, pull it out, turn to the book of Jonah. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 4, but I'm going to go put up here Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, which is where we left off. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, meaning the, the Ninevites, the all of the people, he saw what they did. They didn't just say, hey, God, we love you. We're going to give our hearts to you. They physically stopped doing the things that God said don't do. They stopped doing them. They took action. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, and if you look in the King James Version, it says repented, um, he had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Now, again, this is an entire nation saying, you know what? God's right. We're wrong. We're going to do things God's way. All right, so turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up from there. And this is where it may get, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are, now underline this, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And the reason why I asked you to underline it is because the, the phraseology that he's using, you hear it or read it several times throughout the Bible, and it's from people who have a close, intimate relationship with God. And the reason why they say it is because this is the way that God introduced himself. When he first introduced himself, don't turn there, but in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, when he first introduced himself to Moses, Moses said, well, you know, he was calling Moses. He said, I got a mission for you. I want you to go and go to the people of Israel. They're in slavery in Egypt. And I want you to tell them, thus saith the Lord, much like he did with Jonah. And here's what, how he introduced him. Because Moses was like, dude, seriously? I mean, who am I going to say sent me that I'm coming and saying, this is what you guys are supposed to do. This is what he tells him. He said, I want to know who you are. So reveal to me who you are. Because I want to know who you are, and I want to be able to tell them, this is who sent me. Verse 5, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Now, this is the first time that God reveals his name. And there are multiple, when we did the um, Names of God series, there are multiple titles that people gave to God. God Almighty, the, the God who heals us, the God who hears us. But this is God saying, here is who I am. And he introduces himself as the Lord, literally, I am, Jehovah, Yahweh. And in verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And this is why 
And what Jonah says, this is why I didn't want to go. Uh, not only are you sending me to a brutal, barbaric people, but I know that you are, what he said, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Verse 3, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's a little extreme, but this is what Jonah is saying, all right? He says, it's better for me to die than to live. And this is where it gets, again, uncomfortable because he's angry at God. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Now, let me do this because I know most of us would probably say, yeah, we've been mad before at people. Many of us might not admit, but we've probably been mad at God too for whatever reason. And there are degrees of mad, okay? Uh, so there is, anyone ever been mad at like a stranger, someone you don't know, someone who just maybe cut you off in traffic, uh, maybe someone who cut in front of you in a movie theater, in a line, and you don't unleash, I hope, the full anger and frustration of whatever you're feeling. You maybe just yell at them or shake a finger. Uh, that's this finger. That's probably not the one you shake at them, or most people would. There's another finger. So anyone, anyone ever been, like, mad? Raise a hand, not a finger. Ever been mad? Okay, good. Yeah, we've been mad before at Strangers. We don't just blow up and unleash on them. Hopefully not. Uh, we may vet. We may say a word or two, and then we move on. Because we don't know them. I mean, we haven't met them. We don't know them from Adam. So we kind of control or hold in the anger. But then there's the authority figure anger. If you've ever been mad at your boss, and or this one is ideal, Kids who respect their parents, when they punish you or you get in trouble for something, most of us, and I say kids, and I'm not limiting it to any age, because even as an adult, whenever my mom would flip out on me, I could not unleash with the full anger that I may have had. It just would not have gone, no matter what age I was, good. And so when your boss yells at you, you may, you know, flip out on somebody else. You may go back to the desk, run into the bathroom and have a, you know, a hissy fit. Or when you yell at your kids, I actually know because they'll send out vines, tweets, and Snapchats about how you're ticking them off. You as parents are getting on their last nerve, blah, 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 blah. And all they say to you is, fine, whatever, and walk away. But they are unleashing to somebody else because they don't want to unleash to the authority figure, which makes sense. You don't want to yell and scream and fully vent at the guy who controls your paycheck or, for teens, your cell phone. You go and vent to somebody else. But then there is, and this is probably the worst one, there is, did I just, supposed to say family mad, not authority figure. Now, here's, here's what happens, typically, in most cases. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you kind of hold that in. Your boss yells at you or goes off on you, no matter how right you are, you may hold that in and let loose in the bathroom. But here's what typically happens. When we get home, we yell at our family members. And we fully unleash on them what we weren't going to unleash on a stranger, because we didn't want them to think we're weird. What we weren't going to unleash on a boss, or what most kids aren't going to unleash on their parents, because they respect their authority and they know better than to talk back or mouth off to their parents. Now, there are the kids that don't know that. None of these back here. We're all cool. But there are the ones that don't know that, and they come in, slam the door, stomp their feet, yelling and screaming, and they unleash on you, the parent, because you had the audacity to ask them, how was your day? And apparently it wasn't that well, and they blow up at you. 
And this is, this is kind of what, what Jonah is doing because he is unleashing, not verbally, and we're going to read this, not verbally on God. He's, he's, he's respectfully telling God how upset he is. But his demeanor and attitude, what he does, is like a little kid throwing a temper tantrum to a parent because he's flipping out uh, on God. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people say you're not supposed to be mad at God. I, I, I disagree. I think that's a lie because I think God wants us to be real with him. He doesn't. I think it's okay if I had a bad day for me to sit there and tell God I'm really ticked off because things aren't working out. I think it's okay sometimes when we cry and we're, we're upset with God because something didn't work out or maybe we thought he was going to do something and he didn't. I think it's okay when we realize that we screwed up and we're remorseful and we're crying out to God because I believe that God doesn't want our fake devotion. He wants us to be real. He wants our real human emotion. He doesn't want us to put up this wall and pretend like everything is okay and nothing harms Floyd and Floyd is invulnerable. I think God is okay, again, like Jonah does, respectfully telling him, God, I am ticked off. I am not happy that this is not working out. Things aren't going the way I planned. I think God is okay if there's emotion that is going into how we communicate to him. Again, as long as we're respectful because it is God. Now, drop down to verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Now, timeline-wise, this may seem out of context, but the chronology of events that happened is, because we've already read about the word spreading up to the king, but timeline-wise, what happened was Jonah came in, started preaching, hey, in 40 days, God is going to destroy this place. And remember, he comes in covered in fish guts and fish vomit. And people are like, what's going on with you? And he's sharing his story about what happened. And word starts to spread throughout the city of, hey, this guy says we're going down. And it's not like, here's the thing, when God comes and he starts pricking people's heart, it's not like they don't know. When God starts coming and saying, you need to turn from your violence, that's why the king said, we're going to repent and we're going to turn from our violence. Because they knew that they were being extremely violent. They knew that they were doing wrong. And so as word starts to spread, Jonah, I've said the message, stomps out of town and goes to sit down to see, like, what's going to happen. It's like when you give a child a chore, and they do the chore, but they're slamming things all the way. I'm going to get it done, but I'm not happy about it. And as he's sitting outside, the only one that laughs, (laughs) never mind, (laughs) are the ones who know because they're, (laughs) okay, so as Jonah is sitting outside the town, then You know, word is continuing to spread. He's waiting to see what's going to happen. Word is continuing to spread. And as he's sitting outside the town, it gets to the king. And the king calls a national day of prayer. Now, now, this is a nation that is ungodly at its best. If you read historically, they worship false gods, multiple gods. And they engaged, and we talked about some, like, human atrocities that were just so uncalled for. And yet... 
they called a national day of prayer. Now, we live in the United States where we are allowed to have a national day of prayer. Okay? I think it's like the whatever Thursday in May, 1st, 3rd, whatever it is. And consistently, I'm not saying anything about anyone else because I, I agree, this is my fault. Consistently, since I have been here, around this community, we have done nothing. And I've asked other pastors, hey, how come there's no nothing for the National Day of Prayer? And they say, I don't know. There's stuff going on downtown, which there's not a whole lot going on down there either. And we're a nation that, like we said last week, people got upset when, you know, someone said, well, the U.S. is not a Christian nation. If we are a Christian nation of Christ followers, then why, when we have the, the government's, like, holding back all of their, you know, don't do this and don't do that, saying, go ahead, worship whatever God you want. Why are Christians not coming out of the woodwork like crazy on a day set aside for Christians to come out of the woodwork like crazy? They have an event called the uh, uh, See You at the Pole, where youth across the nation get together early one morning, I forget which day it is, it's in September, And they have prayer at a flagpole. Do you know how many people do that in this community? None for the last couple of years. But for the last two years, there's been a small group of people, less than 15. They got together last year and got together this year. Now, in theory, there are literally thousands of, of Christian youth in this community. Fifteen got together on a day where, hey, why don't the youth come and show that we're a Christian nation? Fifteen got together and prayed. Now, I I spoke with the other pastors. I was like, hey, this year, even if it's just me, we're going to do something somewhere. We're going to publicize it. If, if, If people don't show up and I get it, People are busy, and it's hard to squeeze in some other event. But it's once a year that we go out publicly and perform some event where we call people together in prayer. All right? So Jonah goes outside the town. He's sitting. He's waiting to see what happens. Now, we have the privilege through the Bible of knowing what happens to Nineveh. They are built into what is called the Assyrian Empire. And later on, God uses the Assyrians to discipline Israel. And Isaiah in chapter 7, he prophesies about this. He says, In that day the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices and in the rocks. And there's a lot of, like, uh, uh, picturistic wordplay here. Uh, And on all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. What we're about to read is also graphic, but it's picturistic wordplay that has a point. He says, in that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head, excuse me, and private parts, and to cut off your beard also. Now, at that time, keeping your hair and keeping your beard, it was a sign of, like, maturity. It was like Movember all year long, okay? But he said that Assyria was going to come And they were going to shave their head and shave their private parts. Now, I know that's a little bit graphic, but the reason he was saying that is because the Assyrians were brutal people. 
And when this happened in 722 B.C., they literally, this was prophesied probably 40, 50 years before that, maybe less, but they literally came in and they cut women open. They put, I'm trying to make sure the language, put chains around the private parts of the men and dragged them through the streets until they were dead, as opposed to just coming in, kill them with a sword and move on. I mean, they decimated the nation of Israel. And Isaiah prophesied it. Now, later on, God would then go back and he would end the nation of Assyria because of their violence. So there was a period when Jonah went to them that they repented of their violence and they stopped. But then they, as they grew, as God blessed them, they forgot him. They grew more brutal. God used them, but then he brought them to an end as well. All right, so although Jonah was waiting to see what, we ha- what would happen, we have the privilege of looking in God's word and seeing that this is the entirety of what happened to the nation of Israel. But drop down to verse 7. So he's sitting out. God provides a vine for him to comfort him. But verse 7 says, But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Now note, God provided the worm. God also provided the scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Again, this is, this is God providing. God's the one who, uh, while Jonah was sitting out there throwing his hissy fit, God provided the plant to grow up to shade him. But then God is also the one who provided the worm to come in and eat the plant and allow it to wither away. And he provided the scorching wind. And uh, it's, it's, it's literally God saying, you know what? It, he, here's the cool thing about God. And you see this in the life of Jesus. At every opportunity, there's only two reasons why God does something. For our benefit or for his glory. There is no other reason for God to do anything. It's for our benefit or for his glory. Now, although we look at this and say, how does this benefit that God would take away and make the sun be down on It's because God is constantly, and you see this throughout the life of Jesus, teaching us and educating us and using our circumstances to provide some level of spiritual truth. Now, if you're like me or like any human, especially like teens, The last thing that you want is when you are going through something is for someone to use it as a teaching opportunity for you. Like when your kid stomps in and says, oh, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, they just broke up with me. And you sit them down and say, well, there are many more fish in the sea and life is long. And that's the last thing that they want to hear. No one wants to hear about the fish in the sea. Unless you're Aquaman, it's useless to you. All right. What you want to hear is it's going to be all right or here's a way to fix it. Or here's why you're right in what you did. Or I agree you have every right to be angry. The last thing that we want is for a parent or God to take our mess and use it as a teaching opportunity. But that's what he does. And that's what he does with Jonah. He takes the time to use it. Now I'm going to put the last two verses up here on the screen. In Jonah chapter 4, this is, this is the last recorded words. And it may seem a little bit odd, but the last recorded words of God to Jonah. 
Jonah chapter 4, verse 10, it says, But the Lord said, now this is after he, uh, he's, he's already engaging him. He's out there. He's comforting with him. He's already pulled this stuff away, and he's using it as a teaching opportunity. Verse 10, he says, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about the great city? So God, the whole reason he had the vine come up and provide shade and comfort is he was using it as a teaching opportunity. Now, when he says Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, as best as theologians can tell, that that can be interpreted one of two ways. The one way is literally God saying there's 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left. And he's not saying that they're ignorant or dumb. He's saying they are spiritually ignorant. That they, they don't know what's spiritually at risk. They don't know that their eternal salvation is at risk. They don't know what their actions are causing to happen and how it's separating, from them, separating them from God. And he says, you're concerned about one little plant. Shouldn't I be concerned about their spiritual well-being? Now, the other way that it's interpreted is God saying Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And they believe, uh, some theologians believe, that he's referring to that's just the number of children. In other words, he's saying there's just 120,000 children because children are, you know, they don't know what's right and what's wrong. And if he's referring to the 120,000 children, then that means at best guesstimate there's at least 600 to 700,000 people overall in this city. And God's saying, don't they matter? Aren't all of these people and their lives important, more important than you sitting in the shade or swinging on your porch? Isn't, isn't their lives and what's going on with them more important? Now, let me summarize it with this. I'm going to ask the band to come up in a minute, not yet in a minute. But let me summarize with this. The whole book of Jonah, everything from beginning to end, Let me summarize it this way in three points. The first point is what he's trying to get across to Jonah is it's not about us. God died for us. He put his spirit in us. And he sends us out, not so that we can live the best lives ever, but so that we can be a witness of who he is and how good he is. And what happens in the church, and if you look around today, not just here, the church, the body of Christ, especially in the United States, We have made it all about us. What do we like to sing? What do we like to hear? What do we want the building to look like? What programs do we want? And what you don't see a lot is people going out or being pushed out and saying, how are we not what we do inside here? What are we doing outside of these walls to show that God loves us and he loves you too? Because it's not about us. It's not about how good can we make the celebration in here. It's about what is God doing in us when we do come together in here, that when we leave here, we want to go out and tell other people. That's what it's about. It is not about us. Now, let me share you this. Second is, is that God is making it clear, made it clear to Jonah, making it clear to us that there is a bigger picture than what we see. 
And we may not realize it because we, we only see what we're going through. We only know our life experiences. But God has something bigger. Jonah had no idea what God was going to do with the Ninevites, which would become the, the nation of the Assyrian Empire that would eventually be used to discipline and decimate his home nation. He had no idea. But often, God is using us in ways that we can't begin to understand. Um, let me share this story with you. And I didn't ask permission to share this story, so I probably shouldn't say their name. But Stephen Hathorne. Now, this is, this is just me, okay, in, in, in my opinion. But if there's anyone who should have had a reason to be kind of upset with God, because I don't know if you guys know what he was doing before when he was working, but he was working doing IT stuff. That's, I'll just say IT stuff, like computer IT stuff. I won't go into the details, um, but in the back of my mind somewhere, it's, it's, it's like extensive, okay? And he wasn't just teaching like classes at a college campus. He was teaching huge global corporations. He was teaching government agencies that we're not supposed to know exist, so I'm going to edit that out of the tape. But he was teaching them IT stuff, and this is just me. Uh, once he stopped teaching, shortly thereafter, the government started checking into all our stuff. So, and we found out about it. So I don't know what he was teaching them, and I'm not saying there's a correlation, but you go figure it out on your own. Okay, but he, he, he had great job making great money, doing something that he loved to do, and then after losing both legs, went back to work still until he had a stroke. Now, now this is just me. I'm, I'm not saying that God has given me any, any revelation. I'm speculating. But if he were still teaching, he probably wouldn't be teaching here. And I realize, I realize, I get it, that we're different people. We have different backgrounds, different experiences. He is a teacher by trade, so his passion is imparting information and because he has this evangelical gifting it's imparting information about here's who God is God loves you give your life to him now I don't have a teaching background I have a comic book background so I like just you know talking big pictures and 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 all that kind of stuff and graphics and all that that I just love taking the truths of God's word and like hey this is real and here's what it looks like Okay, but I want to show you something because I just discovered this last week. Actually, I kind of knew it before, but then it hit home last week, and this is really cool. I want you guys to take a look at this, all right? Now, I don't know if you guys can see this, but this is um, one of the pages that comes up on our website. If you haven't gone to visit our website, go home and visit it. Don't do it now because I'm talking. But if you haven't gone to our website, go home and visit it. It's crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com. Now, as you can see, we're not like, you know, huge mega church, so we're not getting tens of thousands of people that check out our website, maybe a couple hundred a month, all right? But if you look, I don't know if you guys can see it, the point of working down here, top media items played in the last seven days. Now, we separated our media items. We used to have video and audio together, but then we separated them. This shows our video. Down here shows our audio. Not a lot of people checking out the audio. More people checking out the video. Now, if you look, top media items played in the last seven days. In here, now, obviously, we just, we're doing this series on Jonah. It's the most recent series, so it is if you look in the last seven days, 19 plays, and in here in the bottom is a series that Stephen did in June called Apologetics. And I don't know if you guys remember that series. But every week since June, 
every single week, no matter what our current series is, always showing up in the top and the last is that series apologetics that he did consistently. Now, if you think I'm just making this up, let me show you one more thing. Why is this not clicking? There you go. Down here where it says in the last 30 days, and there's only been like 46 people that checked out videos in the last 30 days. What does the top number one say? This is as of last Thursday. Apologetics, the most plays in the last 30 days. There are people that, for whatever reason, want to know how to defend the faith. And he's done other messages, but consistently, this was go- since he did that in June, consistently, month after month, week after week, the number one, and it keeps coming up either in the last seven days or in the last 30 days, is the series he did on apologetics. Now, he had no idea, we had no idea, that God wanted to use him not just to reach us. I don't know, you know how many people are impacted by what I say or by what, by what he says, but apparently people outside of here are looking for ways to defend the faith. And oddly enough, just within the last probably month or two, I shared this with the board, People from China have started checking out our messages. And oddly enough, China just happens to be one of the places where it's not okay to freely share the gospel. But China just also happens to be one of the places where multiple people, churches all over the place, are sending missionaries to China. And one of the things that they're trying to get to them, here's a tool, here's something you can learn, here's what the training involves, ways to share and defend the gospel. And I know when Stephen, you know, wasn't like, hey, I'm going to have a stroke so I can go and, you know, teach the gospel and talk about the gospel to people. But God had a plan to say, hey, I don't, I mean, it's great that you're teaching, you know, I spy government IT computer stuff, but here is what I need you to do. God had a bigger picture. And the reason God had a bigger picture, and we've said this time and time again, and I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, share this last point, is because all people matter to God. God's not just interested in those of us that get to come in here and we celebrate and we, and we get to share and we get excited about what God is doing. And maybe some of you don't. Maybe you just come in here repeatedly because that's what you've done all your life. But God has a bigger picture. And he sees the people outside of here that maybe you're the only one that can reach. Maybe you're the only one that can speak to. Because maybe they, there are a lot of people, and admit it, you guys, uh, I'm going to get bold for a minute. But you guys know there's a lot of people that, number one, they're not going to step foot in a church for whatever reason. They're just not. There's a lot of people, number two, that for whatever reason, they're not going to step foot in a church and listen to a black preacher preach. Because as soon as they hear that, for some reason, they think that we're rolling the aisles and, and doing all that kind of stuff here. Because that, that's just the way a lot of people think, all right? And maybe some of you would like, we need a little bit more rolling in the aisles. Okay, but there's a lot of people that are not going to step foot in here. And so what God wants is for you to use the gifts that he has given you, to use the Holy Spirit that he has put in you, to go out and bless the lives of other people and to be a blessing to God. By just sharing, here's what God has done in my life. 
I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and as we do, we're going to sing uh, a couple of songs and just spend some time worshiping God through song. And as you do, again, and I say this all the time, I say it over and over again, just let God speak to your heart about ways that you can bless people in your circle of influence, about ways that you can be a blessing to others, maybe in your family. There's people in your family that need to know how much God loves them. Maybe there's people, co-workers, people that you go to school with, whatever it is. Let God share it with you. God, we just pray that we would acknowledge, just like in the book of Jonah, that it's not about us. It's not about what we get, but it's about what you gave us. Spiritual renewal the gift of life, the opportunity to spend an eternity with you, and we pray that we can share that with others in our circle of influence. God, we pray that even though we don't see the bigger picture, that we would acknowledge that you are God and you are big, and there are things that we may not get or understand, but they are all in your hands. And that we put our faith and our trust in not what we can accomplish, but what you have already done given us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we pray, we pray, we pray. We pray that we would acknowledge that there are people out there who need to hear that there is a God who loves them, who cares about them, who died for them, who will never leave them or never forsake them. God, we pray that you give us the strength, move us into the places, open the doors that need to be opened so that we can share that with others and people in our circle of influence, God. Because just like with Jonah, the same is true for us. All people matter to God. We pray that we get that. God, we ask that you would bless us as we go, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.